Hello, I'm Emma Webb, Senior Project Manager of Education for the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. In this episode, I'm joined by Sam Johnson, ACCP's Director of Health Policy and Interprofessional Affairs, and together we took some time to talk to Kim Kelly. Kim Kelly is one of ACCP's founding members. We discussed the early days of clinical pharmacy, the beginning of ACCP, and the challenges that both ACCP and clinical pharmacy have faced over the years. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation. Um, we'd like to welcome Kim Kelly, one of ACCP's founding members, one of the first 29 members, and the very first ACCP president. Um, Kim is joining us to talk a little bit about um, the beginning of ACCP and kind of where we've come um, since we first started back in 1979, so 37 years ago. 37 years ago in so, October. And I'm assuming that that means that you're about 39 now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 39 in a couple months. In a couple like months. 800, and, anyway. So the first thing that I was interested in asking you is um, why did you become a clinical pharmacist? Or what was your path in becoming a clinical pharmacist? Well, the, the funny part about it was it was like most things, it's pretty much by accident. When I first started in pharmacy school, um, I, I was told that being a pharmacist would be a great job because you really didn't have to work very hard and you made a lot of money. And I mean, that was a great idea to me. So I went to pharmacy school, uh, worked in community pharmacy as, as an internship mm -hmm. uh, once I graduated a little bit. And then there was an opening at a local hospital, Buffalo General Hospital. So I went to work uh, there as the latter part of my internship. Um, and basically at that point, um, they delivered medications to the floor. And that I, I thought that was a great idea. So I, <laughs> I got to be the person who delivered the medication to the floor, no matter what the floor. And when I was up there, people would ask me questions, and I thought that was really cool. Because other than that, you just basically spent all the time in the basement, uh, like Les Hendelis said the other <laughs> night. And it, it was a fun interaction because they would ask you questions, most of which you didn't know the answer to. But you could go back and you could look up stuff and basically find the answer they needed. <clears throat> At the time, that wasn't called clinical pharmacy so much as, it, you know, it was a, a beginning. This was in, my gosh, 1969, six, 69, 70 in that neighborhood. Okay. Problem Ooh. solving. It was, it was basically problem solving, providing information by simply being there. Is that the way that, I know that clinical pharmacy really kind of um, started to really get geared up in the 60s. So is that kind of the way that it started? Um, was by being the, the problem solver, or was that just unique to your institution? No, it was pretty, that was pretty much the way it, it all started. Um, pharm clinical pharmacy traces its, its roots back to drug information, mm -hmm. and we had drug information resources, and people would ask you questions, uh, the majority of which you have no idea <laughs> what the answer is, but you can go back and look it up, mm -hmm. and when you look it up and give them the answer, then you were the star for <laughs> the, the two or three minutes that, that you gave them the answer. So the fundamental was there were, there were rewards in doing that because you you made a contribution and that people depended on you to some extent to go down and find the answers. So in 1979, um, there was an organization meeting, organizational meeting held at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, right. which is, I believe, Sam's alma mater. Go Roos. <laughs> <laughs> and actually a place that I <coughs> worked before as well. 
um, and ACCP was founded. So mm -hmm. as one of ACCP's 29 founding members, kind of what was the impetus for starting ACCP? Like, why do you think there needs to be an organization? Well, it was kind of a combination of things. The, uh, the real impetus was, um, I think the old Rondi, I don't know how many people that listen to this will know who Rondi Dangerfield is, but the, bo the bottom line, the old Rondi Dangerfield line is we, we just don't get no respect. Right. And at the time, there were a lot of people who were beginning to do things clinically, beginning to provide information. And for all intents and purposes, the other organizations, uh, which shall, shall remain nameless, but most people know who they are, um, they were interested Pharmacy in. They, they, they were interested in capitalizing on the term clinical pharmacy, and so as a result, uh, special interest groups in in ASHP formed. Um, I was chair of the clinical pharmacy special interest group with ASHP for a while, but at the fifty thousand foot level, there wasn't really the ability to determine your direction. You didn't have a voice in the, the decisions that the organization made. Uh, you couldn't even decide your own programming for all intents and purposes. So uh, it was more of a, okay, you, this is a great little group to have. Now we have a clinical group. So you guys go ahead and do whatever we tell you to do, and that'll, that'll work good. So we were, it was like we were a sideline to what the organization's major focus was. Mm -hmm. They wanted to have something clinical. And this is true for not just ASHP, but also for APHA. And they, they wanted to have something clinical. So everybody on the planet had the word clinical pharmacy in their title, whether it was a journal, whether it was uh, you know a retreat of some kind. Everything was clinical pharmacy at the time. And yet what the clinical pharmacists really wanted was to be able to determine their own destiny. Uh, to be able to do their own programming, to seek out certification, to seek out uh, the, the dollars uh, that eventually would go with recognition. We haven't got all that far yet, but we're working on it. So the, the idea was, was more of a, we're looking for a professional home. Uh, for a while, uh, we talked with people at the American College of Clinical Pharmacology, who at the time were looking to board certify their members. And... Um, they were positive about our presence. They were interested in the things we did, but th there would have to be a separate membership class for us. We weren't quite as good as the clinical pharmacologists. Yeah, I'm trying to use the, the best way of saying this. <laughs> right. So uh, it's, <clears throat> it wasn't altogether different than what we were getting from the other organizations in pharmacy. It was just uh, we weren't getting the respect and the ability to determine where we went um, from any organization at the time. And so that's really what led to the formation of the college. What was it like, those, those first meetings as a group, 29 <laughs> founding members? <laughs> the first, well, the, the, the founding meeting was in uh, Theater A of the medical school, because that was the biggest room that we had available to us at the time. And many, not many, several of the founding members were uh, also on the faculty of the medical school, so we were right. able to, to commandeer the room for that meeting. Um, the mood was... Uh, excited. The mood was, uh, let's do this right. The mood was, uh, okay, so where do we go from here? You walk out of the meeting, you say, okay, we, we got it done, now what? 
so it was, it was like any founding meeting, it was one of those excitements of having it founded. And then once you walk out of the room, okay, now what? Um, what do we do? What do, since I was uh, elected or appointed president, I think appointed probably more, um, <laughs> what should I do? What's my responsibility now with the organization starting? So it was a real uh, exciting time and at the same time a, a quandary about where do we go from here. Did you have big kind of hopes and goals for the organization or were you just trying to see whether you could make it to 1980? <laughs> or a combination of uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that question. When you talk about hopes and goals, did we have good, big hopes and goals? Yes. The answer yeah. is you're damn right we did. <laughs> it, was, it was the time mm -hmm. for clinical pharmacists to come together and say, okay, here we are. This is what we want. This is where we think we want to go. And the things that we were talking about then are the things that we're still talking about now. Uh, granted, they have more dimensionality now. Mm -hmm. Granted, their you know their research groups, their uh, educational groups, their leadership things in the college, and we can talk about those a little bit later. So the college itself has grown beyond our expectations. But when we first started, the idea was a very clear one and it was to pursue board certification and eventually reimbursement as individual practitioners from the very first day. Interesting. So we're part of the way there. We're part of the way there. We sure are. <laughs> did, and you, did you think it would take 30, almost 37 years? Well. <laughs> or more than 37 years because we're still no. working on the reimbursement part? No, we really didn't. Um, and I, I have to tell you a, a fun story. I had a, when I had left and gone with industry, I had a marketing manager with the company I worked for then come up to me and say, you're a, clin you're a pharmacist, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, bottom line is, have, did you know that there's this really new movement where pharmacists not only count pills and stuff, but they also provide information. They're looking to get reimbursed for it. This is a really exciting opportunity. And this was in the late 80s. <laughs> And so I said, wow, that's a really exciting thing here. Let me get you something to read. So I went over to my file cabinet. I pulled out a proposal to Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City dated 1976 for reimbursement, year, by the way. <laughs> reimbursement for pharmacy services. And he took one look at that and he looked at me and he said, not new, is it? <laughs> and I said, no, it's not new and it's still unfulfilled. But we're still, we're headed in the right direction. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because from my perspective, and still young in my career, um, it, I wonder to what extent, you know, you, you've heard the old term, if you don't learn your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Do, do you have that sense, um, you know, with kind of the, the flavor and the tone and the conversations about what's going on in, intraprofessionally now? Do you think some of that's happening? Do you think folks just kind of lost sight of what, what's already happened and we're, we're starting to go in circles, in the same circle again? Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting question. There's a lot of dimensions to it. Pharmacists have had, since I think, you know, since the fish first came out of the water and, and waddled on land, pharmacists have spent time talking about how wonderful we are to other pharmacists. And um, we don't have the kind of outreach that I had hoped for. One of the things that I think the college needs to be doing, and one of the things we didn't spend a lot of time on, was outreach to other professions. 
Um, and interestingly enough, as we have developed, so also have the other professions to the point where advanced practice nurses now have prescription authority in most states, individual practice authority. We've not, as far as I know, reached out to them. Uh, physician assistants uh, have been changing in their structure over time. Um, my bias is that's probably a very fertile land for us, not only to continue to develop what we do, but to continue to develop a relationship with the practitioners. And I'll give you a marvelous example. In the Johnson & Johnson Diabetes Institute course, which uh, I was responsible for designing, when we had nurse practitioners, physician assistants, some pharmacists, in the audience I said, how many of you wonder why you're here? And, of course, everybody raises their hand because they're not sure how they got picked. <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, at, I told them the story about the, Wayne, the old Wayne Gretzky story. Mm -hmm. You know, um, skate to where the puck I, is going to be. You skate to where the puck is going to be. Diabetes care, which is the, the course that we were teaching, is going to be delivered by all of the people in this room. Physicians will be basically kind of monitoring things. But the better the care is the more everyone will get rewarded, we hope. And the care is, it's going to have to be delivered by more people than physicians. We don't have enough docs. We don't have enough pharmacists and, and, and NPs and PAs for that matter. But diabetes care is a microcosm of what we're talking about here. In cooperation with other organizations, I think, is a, uh, an important direction for ACCP. And we haven't done as much of that as I would like. Is that something that you started um, off doing when the college first started, or was there so much focus on kind of the logistics and operational um, types of things just getting off the ground that you didn't have the time to focus on those things? I, I think the answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> to both of them. Um, when you first form an organization, you know, when I walked out of the room and said, what do we do? The answer was, at, you know, in the short term, I, I need to find some money. We need, if we're going to have meetings, we need to find a way of, of paying for them. We, you know, are we going to charge dues? Are we going to, there's a whole bunch of things that you really need to figure out. How is the organization going to operate? If you want to, and at the time we had in the Constitution, you could develop fellowship. How do we decide who fellows are going to be? How do we decide who's qualified to be a member, for God's sake? So it was, it was one of those things where there are a thousand little questions mm -hmm. But uh, did we try outreach? We did. We tried outreach back into other pharmacy organizations. We had meetings with APHA. We had meetings with ASHP. And um, since this is being recorded, I won't go into the excruciating details. <laughs> but they were really, really unhappy uh, that we existed, mm -hmm. that we didn't come to them first even though they already had programs that we were disenfranchised with. The bottom line is uh, there was a lot of animosity when the college first started. So we did the due diligence to go and tell them we wanted to work with them. Mm -hmm. And we, um, I, I remember a meeting, and I won't go into who was doing what, but the fundamental is uh, the individual we were talking to locked the door of the meeting room and yelled at us for an hour <laughs> about how dare we do this. So it, it, outreach is important within pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Outreach is important to other professional organizations. Uh, early on, we didn't work 
many with many of the other professional organizations because we were trying desperately to get other pharmacy organizations to work with us. Interesting. And it's kind of amazing how far that we've come now that, you know, now ACCP co-sponsors an oncology program with ASHP and we mm -hmm. work with APHA and a lot of the other pharmacy organizations on so many other different things. And well, the, 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 uh, the phrase is time heals all wounds. <laughs> yeah, so I believe everybody's come to grips with who ACCP is. Yeah. Um, many of them are stunned at how fast and how broad its growth has been. And we are a force to be reckoned with, and I think they are reckoning with that. <laughs> and as a result, we're working with us. Surprise! Yeah. So, well, so you mentioned the the famous Rodney Dangerfield quote. Yeah. So, at what point in your mind did you feel like clinical pharmacists and ACCP started to gain that respect? Is there a, is there a point in time? Is there whether were there were there markers that that was happening? It's, it's a difficult question because the respect came in different areas. Um, we gained the respect in a heartbeat when I was practicing as, in, as a clinical pharmacist, docent clinical pharmacist in Kansas City. I saw sick folks every day. I wrote prescriptions. I talked to medical students about why I was doing what I was doing. So it was a, an environment where I was successful. Um, a lot of people in research uh, as we formed the college, the researchers began to publish more, become independent uh, individuals responsible for clinical studies. Peter Velasquez had a lot to do with the recognition of clinical pharmacists as primary investigators. So the respect came in uh, piecemeal fashion over time, but it did come. And then, of course, uh, the question was, so how good are you, which is the board certification question. At the time the college was formed, we didn't have a board cert. you know, there wasn't a board at all. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, whenever we developed, whenever the credentials committee developed the first uh, requirements for fellowship, which were like six, pa six pages long, wow. um, we reserved the right to administer an examination. Because there wasn't there there wasn't a credentialing examination that was able to assure that you knew at least the basics on a whole variety of different things. Right. Cause so the credibility pharmacy. credibility was augmented as we got board certified, but it by no means meant automatically that you get a raise. Um, yes, that that happened in the military in some places, mm -hmm. but it didn't happen generally for sure. So uh, around 1988, obviously, uh, ACCP became very much involved in submitting a new specialty for recognition in earnest. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us about how that went. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I was on the committee uh, that developed that proposal, and we, um, we had let them know we were going to be doing this, and we had worked on it for a number of years. Um, and then we submitted the proposal to BPS. Now recognize that BPS was relatively new. They had right. been around for a while, but they hadn't been certifying. And uh, during that time period, as I mentioned, the words clinical pharmacy were like touchstone. Um, everybody wanted to own clinical pharmacy in some way. So the BPS was made up primarily of people who were ASHP folks. 
And as a result, when we went to them with a very solid proposal for clinical pharmacy, um, the answer came back, well, clinical pharmacy is much too broad. You can't have that. Um, how political that was, I didn't sit in on their meetings, <coughs> but we assumed that there was some political bent to that. So we went back and retooled it uh, based on their words uh, to be pharmacotherapy, and a couple years later, voila, we have a pharmacotherapy B BPS uh, certification program. But it was the, or the initial denial was 100% political. Interesting. So then the practice and research networks that um, the PRN um, were created first in 1992. So how did the college, what was the college like before the creation of the PRNs and after the creation of the PRNs? Because at least from my, I've been on staff with ACCP for about 10 years, and so we've only ever had the PRNs. And my perspective has always been that they're such a vital part of ACCP. I, I simply can't imagine the organization without them, but obviously the first 15 years or so, there were no PRNs. So what was the organization like then, and how has it changed since the development of those? Well, it's a great question because the, the when we originally developed the Constitution and bylaws, I was uh, elected, or I drew the short straw, I'm not sure. <laughs> I wrote, uh, developed the original Constitution and bylaws. The organization is based on uh, the American College of Cardiology. And the reason why we chose that organization, first of all, I had met with people from APHA, I'd met with people from ASHP to talk about their structure, mm -hmm. pros and cons, and then I had the, the very distinct pleasure of meeting with E. Gray Diamond, who was uh, for a former president of the American College of Cardiology. And after a number of meetings with him, um, he told me why they did what they did, um, at the time, the American College of Cardiology was the most successful professional specialist organization on the planet. Um, and I had had the uh, pleasure of being able to attend their meetings, and they were absolutely awesome. So I thought, how can we go wrong if we pattern ourselves after them? So I got a copy of their constitution and bylaws, and we did a, a cut and paste and changed the words pharmacy and all, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And interestingly enough, uh, the American College of Cardiology has a board, mm -hmm. and that board that essentially runs the college, mm -hmm. we're board of trustees. And we sat and had a conversation at one point about, uh, gee whiz, trustees sound awful fiduciary in some way. Right. You know, this is, uh, we're not about money. We're about academics. We're about quality. We're about the kinds of things that you get in, in educational institutions. So why don't we, instead of trustees, why don't we borrow a word from uh, the management of educational groups? And so we chose the word regents which is how the, the term regents got into our constitution and bylaws. It was a modification of the American College of Cardiology bylaws that had trustees. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason we picked them was they were wildly successful and they also had subgroups within the organization that had complete autonomy. They developed their own programs, they had their own uh, recognitions, all of those kinds of things. So it was a wonderful uh, learning experience for me to watch that. And while we didn't plan on having PRNs, um, the Constitution and bylaws 
was essentially written after an organization that for all intents and purposes had the same thing. Mm -hmm. For me to go from not having them to now have, what, 25 PRNs, uh, all different specialties, it's an amazing step because it's like the old-fashioned SIG groups way, way back when with the ASHP, but they have a purpose. <laughs> they, have, they, they choose their direction. They choose their own leaders. They, all of the things that we had wanted way back when and were never able to get, that's what the P PRNs have now, let alone the ability to establish PBRNs and be involved actively in research in their specialty area. So uh, it's an... It isn't an unplanned activity within ASH within ACCP, pardon me, but it it allowed them to develop and allowed them to to grow in a way that we were never able to grow in other organizations. That's fascinating. So many important milestones in in those early years. Is there one milestone in particular that you you think of first as you think of you know how far ACCP has come since 1979? It's an <laughs> Uh, it, it's a funny question. Uh, the biggest milestone when we first when we first started, it was an all volunteer army. Uh, we had no money. Uh, I think the uh, I opened up the the initial bank account at the Empire Bank in Kansas City. We had uh, a grand total of five hundred dollars, which we deposited wow. in the bank. Um, and all of the people who were involved were uh, dedicated to it, to, to almost to a passion. And so we would have meetings in the cities where there were more than a couple members, and all of the people who came, the, the founders and the committee members and so on, they would all stay at members' houses oh, because we couldn't, <laughs> afford, we couldn't afford to stay in hotels. Uh, our very first annual meeting in Boston, mm -hmm. um, they gave us, because we had a certain number of rooms, they gave us the presidential suite in the hotel, mm -hmm. and we had like five or six or seven <laughs> of the, the members are sleeping on couches. Um, it was, it, it was a, a philosophy of unique um, camaraderie because everybody knew the same things that they wanted and they were all developing and doing things together. <clears throat> I can remember going to um, Bill Evans' house, mm -hmm. and uh, he had several people on couches and so on. I got to sleep in his daughter's bed. Uh, <laughs> his daughter was a very short little girl, so my legs stuck out over the end. Those are the kinds of memories and things that make this a unique experience whenever you're first founding an organization. Everybody wanted it to succeed, and everybody didn't care what they gave up in order to make it succeed. And it's interesting. I think that, that the idea of um, bunking up and being in a suite and fitting five or six people, I think that that still exists at ACC, <laughs> with ACCP members today. So we hear lots of um, students and um, even faculty who have their residents and students mm -hmm. come and, you know, there's four or five to a room because they all want to come. So mm -hmm. um, I feel like the spirit still lives, even if it lives a little differently now. No, I think it still does. I think the, the issue is money isn't what it's all about. Having your own hotel room isn't what it's all about. Mm -hmm. What it's all about is being there with people who think the way you do, mm -hmm. who want the things you do. Mm -hmm. And that's what ACCP really is. Uh, there's an... an 
Yes, there are dimensions of thought that are somewhat different, mm -hmm. but the bottom line is everybody's thinking along the same lines. Everybody wants the same thing. We want clinical pharmacy to succeed. We want uh, comprehensive medication management to be the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And until we do that, we are not going to stop doing the things that we're doing because they make a difference. So I do have one other question, and this might be a bit self-serving because I am staff, so <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just interested uh -oh. from my own perspective. So for the first, the first quite a few years, there wasn't any sort of paid staff. It was all volunteer-led. Mm -hmm. So why did the organization um, decide then to hire um, Bob Ellenboss as the executive director and to start investing in a paid staff because many new newer associations go with an association management company or they right. um, do different things versus deciding to invest in having their own staff that are dedicated mm -hmm. to them. Yeah, it's it, management companies are great, but they don't have the fire in the belly. Mm -hmm. And if, if anything separates us from other organizations, it's the fire in the belly. Mm -hmm. And Ellen Boss had an extraordinarily unique position at Truman Medical Center. Mm -hmm. He did things that to this day are, are rarely done or rarely seen. And he had the fire in the belly. Mm -hmm. What happened is if you have a whole bunch of people in a room who are on fire but don't know what to do and don't have enough time to do it, mm -hmm. sooner or later you come to the decision that you have to hire somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, Bob Ellenboss was the person at the time who had administrative experience. Mm -hmm. He understood the needs that, that a number of other people didn't. So he was uh, more business oriented. He understood what it would take to do this kind of thing. And so we said, say, Bob, you get it, go for it. Uh, and he did. And he began to hire uh, staff. And that was the best thing that ever happened to us. Because all of a sudden, you didn't have to do some of the things that you had to do before. So you could concentrate on being, <laughs> I don't know, an agitator of some kind uh, at, at various meetings. And But the, the college's meetings were uh, Wonderful in the sense that early on we had criterion that we were working on. Not everybody agreed on what the criterion would be for members. So the town hall meetings uh, used to be stuffed with people, used to be wonderfully contentious because we'd argue back and forth about how the college should be designed, how members should be evaluated, all of those kinds of things. So it was, it was a very exciting time, and yet at the end of that, Everybody still loved everybody who had input. It was just that we needed to have that going on to eventually make the decisions on where we were. So kind of one last question that I have sure. is that, is there any one thing that really, that you couldn't have imagined um, ACCP having or doing at this point when the organization got started? Yeah, I think the answer is probably dozens of them. When the organization first got started, we were we were very focused on getting board certification, getting recognition, and quite honestly, getting paid for the things we did. Um, the organization was founded on three pillars, mm -hmm. uh, education, practice, and research. Mm -hmm. During the early parts of the, the uh, ACP's uh, 
career, if you will, uh, we moved in the direction of research rather heavily. So we didn't recognize and didn't reward practitioners quite as much, didn't recognize and didn't reward educators as well. So uh, at one point, we even had to, we, we even decided uh, maybe we should be evaluating uh, people for fellowship based on how much money they got in grants. <laughs> and the good news is we stopped that. <laughs> but the take-home message is the organization uh, in the latter years has swung back to the three pillars. We're a heavily involved organizational institution with the academy, with the FIT program, with the merit program, the educational stuff. But in addition to that, the research is carried through those programs and the institute. And now we're having sessions. Um, the session I'm going to be chairing tomorrow, the bottom line is we're talking about some real new innovations in practice. So we have, the pendulum has swung back to the center of the three-legged stool. We are now emphasizing all three areas and doing a really good job of it. So the one thing we couldn't have imagined is how big it would get, mm -hmm. how many different uh, dimensions it would have. But the founding principles were still on that three-legged stool. And right now, we're pretty close to right smack in the middle of that, which makes me very happy. <laughs> what advice would you have for someone just entering practice this year? Active just, in the organization. <laughs> it's funny because I do mentor. Uh, I mentor for APHA, and I also mentor for ACCP. And the bottom line is uh, <laughs> the, the message I've given to two of my mentees is do stuff. Um, <laughs> and as much as you can, find a niche that you, are, you can make a difference in. Um, if you are going into research, uh, there's a ton of different research areas, but whatever you go into in that area, be the best you can be. Uh, if you want to try to, to be the very best practitioner you can be, that doesn't necessarily mean you could only go into an ICU. What it means is you should be doing something different wherever you are. If you're in internal medicine unit in No Place Hospital in No Place, Iowa, um, what things are available to you now that weren't before. Um, transitional care management, chronic care management, uh, annual wellness visits, things that pharmacists would never have thought of in the past, the government's now watching you. They're now keeping statistics. Do a good job in those areas, and it may help all of us move to the CMM that we continue to hope to be. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us. It's been so interesting to learn more about the Absolutely. the start of the college, and and we love having you still so um, active and invested in the college, um, still thirty seven years later. So hopefully, we can revisit this conversation another ten years, and you can tell us how things have changed in the forty seven years that the college has been <laughs> around. So thank you so much. All right, thank you, Emma. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.